0: Doug Ford, Kathleen Wynne, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. On today's episode of the True Condos Podcast, we're talking politics with Stan Cho, Ontario PC candidate for Willowdale. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True True Condos Podcast. Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and
1: condo investing in Toronto.
0: Hi, it's Andrew here. And just before jumping into the, the interview with Stan Cho, who's the PC candidate for Willowdale and also a, a very well known guy in the pre construction condo world in Toronto, um, just wanted to quickly say that we're publishing this episode after the tragic events that happened recently in Willowdale um, with the many people who lost their lives, unfortunately, on the stretch of Young Street between Young and Shepherd and Young and Finch. Now, this recording of this podcast, this interview, happened before these events took place, so it was not something that we um, discussed in this interview, but if you're listening to this after, you might know there's a connection, obviously, between Stan Cho being the candidate for Willowdale and the very tragic events that happened. Of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the families and friends of the victims of this terrible event, but I just wanted to put that out there. Um, in case anybody's listening and wondering about that, uh, this at the time that we recorded this conversation, uh, that tragic uh, event, uh, those events had not taken place. So there you have it. With that in mind, here is my interview with Stan Cho. All right, we are live. We are here with Stan Cho. Uh, Stan is the Ontario PC candidate for Willowdale. Stan, welcome. Thank you for having welcome me. to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Stan, if you just want to bring your microphone uh, as close as possible to yourself Perfect. there, that's great. That awesome. Um, so, Stan, you're running for election here, upcoming election, provincial election, very soon. Biggest question I have for you is why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> Maybe tell tell us a little bit about what you're coming from, because obviously, and, you know, why we're in this, why why I'm talking to you and how we know each other, and, and then the big question is why? Like, why are you doing this?
1: Absolutely. Well, Andrew, I'm uh, my... Background is real estate. Uh, I've been in this business now. This is my 16th year. And uh, I do uh, run, well, I used to run the family business of uh, Roy LePage, New Concept. And uh, what we've seen over the last 15 years is that this government that we have in Ontario, which affects so much of policy in our day to day lives, has really very little idea of what's happening in our real estate uh, market. And it's this lack of government foresight that's actually led to some of the problems and the challenges we face with affordability. Um, overcrowding lack of inventory that we see today. But we're seeing the tip of the iceberg, and we see massive problems with housing on the horizon. And the government, as we see it now, they're really looking at this sort of housing issue four years at a time, and that's a mistake. Uh, We have a booming population here, and it's it's only going to get worse in the coming Mm -hmm. years. And housing, whether you are a billionaire or homeless, it affects you. Mm-hmm. And we have some massive challenges on the horizon, and we need a government. We need people who see the long term sort of picture on what's happening in the housing market, and that's one of the main reasons that I decided to put the business on hold, hire a manager, and try and make a difference here
0: before it's uh, too late. So, yeah, I mean, so your family business, as you said, you you have this brokerage, Royal Page, new concept. Uh, you've been you've been doing this business for a long, long time you know, I know, you know, (laughs) you know, you're, you're making a, It's a great living. Uh, it's a great business. You've been very successful at what you're doing. You know, you're well known in the industry. Um, you could just keep doing what you're doing keep your head down. (laughs) Like you really don't have to do this. You're certainly not doing this for the money. We can put that out there and and say that. So yeah, I'm just curious. Like what was there a trigger moment for you that said, you know what, uh, I've got to do this. Was there, was there a single moment in time? Was it a series of events? Like I'm just curious I want to just get inside right. your head a little bit as somebody similar to me who's you know who's in this industry, you know, you're very successful. Like I said, you can just keep doing what you're doing and and nobody would ever think twice about it if you made that decision, but you said no. You know what? No, I'm going to I'm going to actually go a- mm. and uh you want to serve in public office in this way. So what was there a moment in time that that you can point to? There's been several moments and I'll
1: guess I'll give you sort of a a longer explanation on this. I mean, I my my it's a family business like you mentioned uh yeah. royal pages but mm-hmm. my father when he came to this country wasn't in real estate in fact he came here alone not knowing the language the culture he worked for less than minimum wage for cash in a convenience store when he first got here because there were no other opportunities for him um, but he eventually worked really hard and saved enough money to move us from guelph where he settled originally and I ended up being born in Etobicoke, and him and my mother, who we brought a few years after he came, uh, after I was born, started working in a convenience store together. The, the point in this is I, I watched them growing up work extremely hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, long hours, right. getting robbed at knife point. I mean, every racist name in the book thrown at them, wow. and, and they wow. struggled. And, yeah. it, and through that struggle, it, they kept working hard. And what I learned from that is, hey, hard work can pay off because Mm -hmm. they eventually succeeded i remember my dad writing his real estate license while he was at the store Uh, and i remember going to when he got his real estate license with him as a kid to open houses and seeing him write the offers on the hood of his car and and tireless seven-day work weeks so long like the the hours that they worked at i don't know how they did it not even knowing how how sort of the culture of this country uh, was and you know Eventually, the the happy ending to that story is that they became very very successful. So I learned that hard work can lead to those opportunities.
0: So he he had a went to Guelph, came to Toronto. He had the convenience store, and then at some point he got his real estate license. Yes.
1: So I'd say. And then at some
0: point he opened the brokerage. Yes. So when the brokerage started to grow, like what's that story? Seven
1: years old or eight years? Seven or eight years old, he got his license, and he became a really great salesperson. And moved us from Etobicoke closer to his office in in Willowdale, actually. And, you know, I've I've grown up in North York ever since. And my dad, after two years of being a top salesperson, uh, decided to open a brokerage. And he did that. And he became a very successful broker owner. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was when I was in high school. And shortly after university, I, I decided to join the, the family business. But, you know, back to the point of... Why politics in a very successful yeah. and rewarding career? It's not just the misunderstandings that this government has with our uh, real estate industry. That's, of course, a reason. But more importantly than that is that, you know, I, the last 15 years, I, I, I see people in our office. I talk to people at the doors. And the, the same work ethic that my parents had is there. The, the right. long hours, the, you know, the seven-day work weeks that drive and determination for a better life. Yes. But what's not... Uh, are the opportunities. I mean, the last decade and a half you've seen Ontario lose hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs. You see policies introduced that make no sense, you see scandal after scandal. I mean, the gas plant, the uh, e-health, the Green Energy Act, which is really just a bad contracts act. There's billions, and, and being just hemorrhaged out of this province, and that's taxpayer dollars. And if you continue to do that, I mean, don't know if 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 the listeners know this but right now there's a billion dollars a month being spent on interest payments to service our debt we are the most wow. indebted state or province on the
0: planet billion dollars a month
1: a month that's what is, $5, what is 000, that a day five thousand <laughs> a second if Five thousand dollars down a second,
0: twenty four hours a day. Twenty four hours a day. Five thousand dollars a second. It's just to pay interest payment, interest only.
1: payments alone, and yeah. and you think about where that money can be reinvested, reinvested into our province to to improve infrastructure, transit, to help the less fortunate, to create opportunities and jobs. Yeah. You know, there's a reason we've lost uh, three hundred and fifty thousand manufacturing jobs in the last uh, under the the Southern Ontario Liberal term. There's a reason that students are graduating without the hope of employment with the skills gap and there's a reason that small businesses are struggling so you know back to my my point is that the opportunities are disappearing before our eyes and we Mm -hmm. need to make sure that we have those opportunities for future generations
0: so would you are you like to what your point is i guess i'm gathering is looking at your parents and what they went through in their generation working very hard coming to this country working very hard uh seven days a week they had a they had better opportunities than the same. If you're putting in the same effort today versus what they were, you're saying that the opportunities are just not as not there. hard, hard not there. work, hard work doesn't give you the same, same result. Anymore. Correct. And, and
1: we're also leaving that legacy for our kids and their kids. Right. Uh, unacceptable.
0: Right. Um, what are speaking again, most of the people listening to this are going to be in the real estate industry or real estate investors. Um, What are the, so I want to obviously talk about issues related to them. What are some of the key issues around housing specifically that you're, I know you're very passionate about coming from your background in real estate as well. What are the sort of the key issues that you want to, you know, that you want to bring to the table and and bring your expertise and your knowledge and and bring change to if you are elected? Mm. Uh, there's so many specific
1: issues that I can get into. But big picture, Andrew, we're looking at, you know, our our country of Canada is 36 million population strong. But what people don't realize is that over a quarter of that population, 26% live in the greater Golden Horseshoe. That's that's right here at home. And that is a tiny percentage of Canada's landmass. In other words, 26% of the country's population lives within the 0.3% of our landmass. And that's here in the Greater Golden Horseshoe. And that has a profound effect on our housing market. And Mm -hmm. the government has shown that they do not understand the impact that this is having on our future as well. People get it. We live in the best place in the world. We have clean air. We have uh, so much going on for us. And we have wonderful uh, nature and clean water and so many opportunities, safety, all those great things that come with living in Ontario. But the housing market is being choked, we have a supply crisis on our hands, and every policy that we've seen introduced by the Ontario Liberal government has been, uh, is going to make that supply-demand imbalance worse, and and, then that's a big picture. But to take, for example, specifically, uh, you heard recently that the housing minister uh, came out and, and, and said that he's going to give municipalities more power to govern over inclusionary zoning.
0: Right, so inclusionary zoning, yeah, it's a buzz buzzword right now. What, right. what do we need to know about that?
1: Well, it, it, the simple definition of inclusionary zoning is that government is asking developers, well, you are going to have to introduce a certain percentage of the uh, condos that you build that are affordable housing type for the people who can't afford the market rates. Okay, And now the housing minister of Ontario said, well, we're going to actually give the municipalities, city councilors, more power to decide how much of the developers are going to have a percentage of affordable housing. In other words, if somebody, a councillor downtown said, no, I want 40% inclusionary zoning in this project at... Uh, let's just pick Bay and Bloor because we're sitting That's here. That's where we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then, forty percent of that Bay and Bloor condo project is
0: now going to have to be affordable housing. The so the province the the, the minister is proposing to give the local councillors the power the authority to make such a in a uh, nutshell uh, restriction yes. on developers. Yes, and right. and
1: you know th- this is another example of something that we are not thinking ahead Mm -hmm. so
0: if that happens how does that affect the market what's Uh, the repercussions of that terribly
1: i mean very simple you know a lot of developers and i think for them they're not evil human beings in fact many of them want to contribute back to the communities and see that uh, their buildings are helping people but what developer in their right mind being a business is going to even bid on a land site in a climate where your local counselor is going to say i need 50 percent inclusionary zoning your performa doesn't make sense your number's don't make sense if there's no developer despite having a heart of gold is going to come into a project to lose millions of dollars right and that's what we've set up and that's what we're going to set up moving forward is you're going to see prime areas of toronto overlooked by developers who think well you know what it's just not worth our time to even consider this and then that leads to a lack of development
0: which is going to only compound it's another it's another layer that the government's looking at Uh, adding to the process which is going to choke development absolutely i mean it's uh, you know there's just so many policies that they're just adding 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 and it's just slowing down the um you know the, the the process the um you know the normal economic process of you know supply and demand they're just adding layers to it absolutely and restrictions that will Yeah, exactly. Like you said, I mean, if they're going to start saying, you know, I'm barely making a profit as it is, I'm taking on massive amounts of risk as it is, you know, if I build 10 projects, you know, I'm not hitting 10 home runs, you know, a couple of them might lose money, a couple of them might make money and the rest of them are probably just, just breaking even to keep the machine going. Mm -hmm. Like these, there's this weird perception out there that developers are just, you know, Rolling in the money, rolling in the money, and every project <laughs> they make is just obscenely right. profitable, and the margins are, you know, right. out of the out of this world or something like that. So yeah, they can they can just add in eighteen floors of right. affordable housing for free, kind of thing. And of course, Doesn't that's work like not that. true. It's
1: not true, and you have to also add to
0: that that uh, there's so much
1: red tape. I mean, the developers we speak to are saying it. It almost takes a decade now from acquiring land to even getting it to that state where it, it's it's finished because of all the bureaucracy you have to go through and the hoops you have to jump through to get this product out yeah and this is in a climate where we desperately
0: need that supply to catch up and we're growing like crazy and prices are 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 growing like crazy and the the liberals just seem to think the solution is to just add more red tape Mm -hmm. and to add more you know just, yeah, more steps to the process, more cost to the builder, and somehow they think that's going to result in cheaper housing for all. Right, and that's actually going to result in the opposite, which is way more expensive
1: housing for all. And it's not just the sales aspect we're talking about here. Andrew, this government has made a commitment to making it worse for renters also. Um, yeah. And you heard uh,
0: yeah the fair housing plan last year introduced... Mm-hmm. Uh, almost one year to the day, actually. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, this Who's is it? interesting. We're almost... One year to the day, as we're having this conversation that the fair housing plan has come in. So we've had a year now um, to think about it and then sit on it and to see how it affects the market. What do you think the biggest impacts of the fair housing plan have been? And where do you think it has gone wrong the most? And, you know, to be fair, let's put this out there as well. Do you think it got anything right? Well, uh,
1: it's an interesting question. Okay, let's
0: let's. Anything right part I'll get to at the end.
1: (laughs) Overall, I, I really did not like this this uh, piece of legislation mm-hmm. the thing that i really dislike the most is the rent control aspect of it and you know right. rent rent control really in my opinion is the first but rent
0: control is is good
1: right it's good sounds for the
0: people good. it it's going to keep rents low cuz you're going to stop rents from right. going up right it's it good right it sounds good it's in in theory <laughs> but it's actually not
1: and you know what let's just look at the evidence as you said it's one year later Double digit record gains across the board for all rental types from studios right up to three bedrooms. It's clearly not working, Mm -hmm. and you're seeing multiple offers on so many rental types. I mean, in this area that we're sitting in right now at Bay and Bloor, you can't list something without getting four or five offers within the first 24 hours of having it on MLS. This is the climate we exist in, and that's what. Rent control got wrong. It just gave out a soundbite saying, hey, we're here to protect you, tenants. But really, what it's done, Andrew, has n- it's absolutely ruined their chances at, at affordability in the city. And to sort of explain why, for some of the listeners who may not understand how rent control works backwards, it, it, you have to understand that in our city, we have a rent shortage for all supply types to begin with yeah we're not corporations and and developers have not been building building purpose-built rental buildings Uh, very few projects were were built in the 90s and in the in the into the 2000s and so the domestic investor the landlord the everyday person like For example, you and I who don't have a pension invested in in real estate and we do a valuable service, which is to rent that condo product back to the people who need it. And I think you'll agree with me when I say that we're not getting rich off of these condos that we're renting back out to the market. We just want to cover our debt obligations and our maintenance fees. Sure. And that's what market rates, or sort of market rents are are dictated by. Now, of course, there's a few bad apples out there in terms of landlords who have tried to escalate the rent too quickly. But you can't take the exceptional case and then make sweeping policy that affects everybody else who is doing it responsibly. And most right. landlords are doing this to cover their costs. And that was actually a great system we had people who were just covering the costs, and you had reasonable rents the problem was that there wasn't enough product so that was escalating the rent values now what's happened with rent control as soon as the tenant leaves and you, I think, will agree with this, well, I'm going to anticipate any potential changes into the future. What if my maintenance fees goes up? What, yeah. what if there's falling glass and I have to a special assessment that gets assessed on my maintenance fees or my property taxes go up uh, yeah. a lot? Mortgage well, rates go mortgage up. Mortgage rates, interest rates are up right now. Well, I can't offset that by a reasonable increase in rent, so I'm going to act preemptively, and when I get my new tenant, I'm going to actually increase my rent 25% before to anticipate in the
0: event of any emergencies. And you have seen that right. throughout the entire city. Instead of before, you know what, I'm just going to rent it out as quickly as possible, and so I'm just going to price it as the, at the lowest possible amount that I'm willing to accept. Exactly. Uh, because I know if the costs increase in the future, I can just increase it. Um, to help me cover those costs. Now I can't increase my, my rent in the future. So instead of setting it at the lowest possible amount, I will accept. I'm going to really think twice about it. I'm probably going to set my rent at the highest amount that I, that the market could possibly bear. It might take a little bit longer for me to rent it out. You know, it might take two weeks instead of one, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, again, cause of the shortage, but uh, yeah. So landlords are increasing those rents and you know the other thing with rent control that we talk about on this podcast all the time is if you're in if you're a tenant in rent control you're not moving that's right and if you're not moving that unit is not going on the market mm-hmm. and if that is spread across the entire marketplace and people aren't moving and units aren't turning over supply goes way down when supply goes way down the the, the cost of entry into that market if you're a new tenant is just getting higher and higher and higher and the funny thing about rent control is this is not a new idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not a new idea in, you know, in Ontario, we had it before, you know, in, in the, in the sixties, seventies, um, in the, in the past, uh, and other jurisdictions, other cities around the world been there, done that. Like that's the part that gets me the most about rent control. It's like, just look at any study on rent control that's been done. Virtually any study on rent control that has been done around the world and see, How rent control affects the market and how it does it keep rents down or not yeah and it does it does the opposite of what you think it's going to do it's it's total insanity and in
1: fact that is the definition of insanity to do the same things again and again expecting different results it's,
0: it's the evidence is is clear the evidence is out there the studies have been done like we've tried this before we got rid of it for a reason right right we got rid of it for a reason it's like how soon we forget? Yes, and that's—I right?
1: mean—that goes back to the problem of this Ontario Liberal government that thinks they can pit somebody against each other: landlords versus tenants, make issues divisive for an election. And that's the scary part: is yeah. they're really only doing this to get re-elected, to cling on to power, not in the best interests of renters and not in the best
0: interests of Ontario. So, how do we? Let's talk about solutions from your perspective and from the uh, the PC perspective. How do we? address the problem of affordable housing in you know specifically you know in willowdale but in toronto and, and in ontario how do we how do we make housing more affordable how, for people to rent and also for people to buy like what are the specific things that you want to do so i have three ideas that i would love to be in a
1: position to to put forward and you know number one we need to address the fact that there is too much red tape there is way too much bureaucracy going on i mean it's taken myself two years to get permits to do even the construction on my house this is the, an example
0: that's happening across Just to build the a single house. Just Forget about build build building house. 300, 500 exactly. homes. Exactly. This, this is just for
1: <laughs> me and my better yeah. half to live in. And yeah. it's taken me two years to just get the permits. Now I start construction. Right. Imagine the bureaucracy and red tape that these developers go through for 500, 600 units at a mm-hmm. time. It's, we need to, to work on that. And there's, there's ways to do that less government is better in this case the second thing we need to do is free up the government land i mean ontario is sitting on i think 560,000 plus hectares of developable land it's just not being developed and that is would give us a massive supply injection are you talking. talking about the green belt specifically no, or no? absolutely not. No. This is outside, outside the green belt. not including the green no. belt? And, you know, my personal opinion is we, we can't touch the green belt. I love the idea of preserving uh, okay. you know, n- nature, and, and I think that's great. Right. We have land outside the green belt that we can develop on. We're mm-hmm. just not using it. And we keep talking about the supply, demand, and It's very I hate that phrase, economics 101, but there's nothing better I can think of in this case because right. more housing means let's say five projects out today instead of one project out today at Bay and Bloor naturally brings the prices down. That helps purchasers. That helps renters. It's, it's actually very, very simple. And we yeah. have the land to get this done. So release it. Let's work on a way to get this land out to end users and to renters. And, and the third thing that we absolutely need to do is, is think about creative ways to free up additional inventory. So for example, and again, this is my idea. This is not something that the central party stands behind. But if we were to take the subway system and upload it to Ontario, if we were to say, well, Ontario is going to control the subways, that does a couple of things. Number one, we, we get around sort of the, the infighting between municipalities. Take, for example, Finch Station. Now, Willowdale is a great example for this because it has yeah. two subway lines that end there, Shepherd, li- Shepherd Station right. and Finch Station. Right. Now, Without getting into too much of how much that doesn't make any sense, the natural thing to do would be to connect Finch Station up to Highway 7 because a lot of York Region commuters are coming down to Willowdale anyway, parking there and heading downtown for their jobs. That leads to congestion, that leads to all sorts of other problems. Sure. But one of the reasons we can't connect Finch to Highway 7 is it's a Toronto versus York Region issue. Um, And if the province were to take that over, you avoid some of those challenges and some of that red tape, but more importantly, You now have the ability to sell the airspace above the subway stations. I mean, this is in the growth plan from two thousand and six. You want to be able to develop
0: where there's high density, where there's transit lines. I always found it ridiculous. Like I I used to live in the Danforth, and just it just drove me nuts. It still drives me nuts that you have the Danforth subway line, and and, you know there's no the density around the Danforth subway line. It's ridiculous. You got two story commercial all the way down. It's yeah. It's just it makes no sense, and like you said, just something as simple as yeah, the air rights above the station—like anybody would want to live on top of a station. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to do them all. Let's just try with three, four, five of them. You know, right. we got lots of stations. Let's yeah. let's get things going here. I mean, it's 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 ludicrous that in 2018, whatever 50, 60 years since these subways were built. And you look around these stations, and the housing is the exact same as it was when it was built. It Absolutely. makes no sense. Like, and it doesn't exist you know,
1: anywhere else in the world. It's a unique challenge to Toronto. Yeah. You can look at like cities. you live.
0: Like I used to. Like I, like I said, I li- lived in the Danforth. I live in a single detached house that's like two two feet away from the subway station, and I'm surrounded by single detached houses like on the subway line. Yeah. And, it's and weird. It, it like, is weird and it's really <laughs> unique
1: to Toronto, like, like we said. It's it's and, and I'm with you on yeah. that. And there's something that it's time to take a real strong opinion or stance on and change it. This is a yeah. long term fix and we've got to start it now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um let's talk about Willowdale specifically. Uh and um what are like what are the key issues uh facing the uh, Willowdale and you're riding that you're running and sort of what do you what do you bring to the table that's different from uh the people that you're up against and um, specifically the um the incumbent there? Sure.
1: Um it's the incumbent there is, is David Zimmer, he's the ma- uh, Minister of Indigenous Affairs he's been there for 15 years. Uh, You know, I know him quite well. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's, he's a nice guy. I just, uh, it's time for change. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of inactivity. It's, it's, what are you
0: hearing? I know you're doing a ton of door knocking, which I love to see. I love to see your, your hard work and your hustle as you're out there talking to people in the streets. And it's, I think it's a crossover from your real Mm -hmm. estate (laughs) training as well. And understanding, you know, just how to sell and how to talk to people and how to, you know, how to get things done. Yeah. Um. so, like what are what are you hearing from people that you're knocking on doors you're talking to Thousands of people now. After mm-hmm. been doing this for a eleven thousand to be exact, you've Andrew. talked to eleven thousand people. Yeah. Eleven thousand. So, what are the eleven thousand people <laughs> of Willowdale that you've personally talked to? What are they saying? What are they telling you? What so are you hearing? The, I'm hearing a lot of things. I'm hearing that life has become unaffordable. I'm hearing that hydro
1: rates are out of control. I'm hearing that their senior, aging parents are are waiting in hallways for for health care in yeah. hospitals. I'm, yeah. I'm hearing that their kids can see. Earl Haig secondary school from their balcony, but they can't go there because of school overcrowding. Right. Uh, so they're bussing these kids out to, to Vanier wow. and you don't that means no band practice, that means no sports teams, no childhood essentially. And and I'm hearing that traffic is terrible. Willowdale is perfect microcosm of the rest of our country it's diverse it's bursting at the seams it's got so much great happening for them but there are three major challenges that i've heard at the door and there are, these three challenges are what i'm going to target going into this election and if i'm able to win and those are number one uh the young 401 ramp so anybody who knows this area young street is the largest street in the world i believe and the 401 is the busiest highway in north america now, you have those two sort of streets or or, or highways meeting, yep. and if anybody knows this street, you head south on Young Street, you want to get on the 401 East, you have a one-lane left-turn traffic signal right. for this to happen, yeah, yeah. and you okay, cannot can imagine it, yeah. <laughs> the chaos. I mean, I've yeah. waited months of my life trying to turn on <laughs> yeah, this highway. You add it all up. <laughs> yeah. Right. But this is an issue that really, since 2003, right. uh, the current government has said they're going to do something about it. The current MPP has said they're going to talk about it. This right. has been studied to death. There are no more studies necessary. Here's the crazy part, Andrew. This is going to blow your mind. The city agreed to put up half the money to get this thing done. It was that important to the municipality. Okay. So they put up $25 million. Yes, The Ontario Liberal government did not put up the 25 on their end. It sat there, and the city funds expired on December 31st of 2017. The lack of political will is not on Toronto. It's not on on North York and the local councillor. Right. It is on the Ontario Liberal government, and it, 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 it's got so many negative spin-off effects. There's a community called West Lansing that's just beside the young 401 ramp, Traffic's like water. It's going to go to the lowest, least point of resistance, and it's cutting through these neighborhood streets. I talked to uh, uh, somebody who lives in West Lansing two weeks ago at the door who told me her daughter got hit by somebody trying to speed through the neighborhood streets to get to that young 401 ramp we're talking about right now. These are the challenges that we're facing Mm -hmm. with a government that's not doing anything uh, for the people that live there. The second thing in Willowdale that we're having a very big challenge with is the overcrowding of schools that I touched on. It's a yeah. very weird, simple funding e-regulation. Well, it's a regulation. How do you fix that? Simple political. Well, you need to want to change the regulation. So for people who might not understand how the funding works in the TDSB, yeah. uh, while well, the Toronto District School Board is, is allocated uh, a, a set amount of money, but um, it has to go sort of, to, to keep it simple, you get a pie. That pie gets up into equal pieces. And you're giving Willowdale the same slice, as you are giving to, let's say, uh, Rexdale, where okay. the overcrowding in schools is not the same issue. So you're not able to use that funding to, to expand your schools. Earl Haig right now has a, a student population of 2,600, but there are hundreds of these students
0: because of that is funding this a high school? It's a high school. 2,600. No, it's like, <laughs> a big yes. school. It is a very
1: big school, and, and you're sending kids who should be going there to Vanier. Uh, mm-hmm. If anybody knows where Vanier is, it's... A, it's quite a distance away it's right it's nothing at all like so you're not going to, to school, school with your neighbors and no and you're missing yeah. and you're not doing extracurriculars because you right. need to get that school bus that busing yeah. and the third issue in willowdale is is the transit you've got you've got two subway lines that end here it's the only place in canada where that happens and the natural solution to this is extend the shepherd line which ends at young street to the other side of line one which will take you up to york region on the new extension Uh, And the other thing is to connect Finch to Highway 7, as we touched on earlier. And those are the three things I'm going to concentrate on.
0: Wow, that's great. Um, Kathleen Wynne made some interesting comments uh, this week. (laughs) She sure (laughs) Uh, did. Talking about um, Doug Ford, comparing him to Donald Trump, and talking about herself, comparing herself or contrasting herself with Hillary Clinton. What are your thoughts on on um, uh, the leader of your party, Doug Ford, and what he brings to the table and you know how he's different from Kathleen Wynne. Well, Kathleen Wynne would, I'm sure, love to be
1: running against a president of a foreign country because that would take away from her record. And I believe that actions speak louder than words. All you have to do is look here in Ontario and it's no mystery why Kathleen Wynne wants a distraction. So she can talk about other foreign countries' leaders all they want. They have absolutely no bearing on Ontario and where we're headed, and it has nothing to do with e-health or the gas plant scandals that, that cost the Ontario taxpayers $1.1 billion, the fact that her former chief of staff, David Livingston, is going to serve jail time because of his involvement, uh, the fact that we have these bad energy contracts that we tie us in for tens of billions of dollars for the d- decades, for energy that we don't need, the mm-hmm. fact that we're shipping out energy right. to the United States at a loss, at a loss. Yeah. Uh, because of the overproduction of energy, the fact yeah. that you know her insiders like the CEO of Hydro One is, is making six point two million dollars and gave himself a one point eight million dollar raise this year. This is while Ontarians are choosing between paying for their heat or putting dinner on their families' tables. It would be great for Kathleen Wynne to be running against someone other than the person who has committed to saying they're going to address these inefficiencies, these scandals, and make sure that we restore a transparent government back to Queen's Park. Mm -hmm. So I think those comments are frankly ridiculous and totally off base. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, interesting. The other, uh, the other thing I know that you're passionate about and, and interested on, especially coming from the real estate industry, is the process of real estate licensing and getting and, and how real estate agents become, how you become a real estate agent. So yeah. um, what are your thoughts on that? Is it, is it too easy to become a real estate, uh, estate agent? Do we have too many real 100%. estate agents I, I in, I, uh, yeah. in Ontario?
1: <laughs> I think, uh, Andrew, I mean, I might be wrong on this stat, but I, I think we have over 50,000 uh, people running around with the real estate from the Toronto Real Est- or license from the Toronto Real Estate Board, and that yeah. almost two thirds of them did one deal or less last year. And it's become an industry of part timers. And I, yes, to answer your question, I think it's way too easy for people to get their real estate license. And I think that the program needs a little bit of updating. Uh, we're teaching people um, paperwork, we're, we're teaching them nothing to do with ethics, nothing to do with saleability, salesmanship, and things like that. And in the end, this is a business where you are dealing with people's biggest investments, whether it be for end use or for investment. Mm -hmm. They are trusting you, and we need a higher standard of accountability and training. It's unacceptable that we have become an industry where you are just doing this on the side as something else. Now, I'm not taking away from the many thousands of amazing, talented responsible ethical realtors that are out there, such as yourself, but we do have a lot of bad apples and we need to address that situation. And I would love to see the Ontario government and if 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 we're able to form government, I'll certainly lobby for this. I would like some higher standards and some higher accountability to make sure that the consumer is protected at the end. Even today, we have unlicensed salespeople selling pre-construction units, uh, pre-construction condos. Right. There's no accountability. There's no code of ethics. Uh, there, there's no sort of even accountability if something were to go wrong. Right. And it's been a great market, but this it doesn't always last that way. And at the end of it, we need people who are responsible and accountable for their actions and the way they sell. So, yes, love Do to you, see some changes. you
0: propose anything specific? I mean, uh, in terms of... Because right now, to get your real estate license, it, you take... It's basically been the same for a long time. Take about, I think, three courses. Yeah. It takes about six months or so, I think. And then, boom, you got your real estate license. Like, what... Yeah. Specifically, what are you proposing?
1: And, and I have to give credit where it's due. I mean, we've I've been uh, talking to Tim Hudak, uh, who is the new CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. He's been very active... Right. ...in making some changes for the better. Um, but I would like to see... Uh, a long sort of attention, that there should be a course on on ethics, for Mm -hmm. example. And I think we should spend more time on that accountability aspect of the industry as well. I also think that we need to work on more of the interpersonal side of this business. Um, It's not enough to teach paperwork and how to fill out an offer. I mean, uh, anybody with enough time can learn that. We also have to teach the uh, ability to understand what somebody's needs are. have have classes on open-ended questions for example so you can get to the bottom of somebody's underlying needs for for why they're purchasing a house or right. why they're purchasing an investment salesmanship and and you know any other industry where you're in sales you are trained on that and in real estate you are not right. currently and it's up to the up to the independent brokerages to provide that type of training well that's kind of a big responsibility on them right so I essentially think, yeah, yeah
0: it's it's not just the technical skill of being able to write a deal it's how you actually get good at what you're doing Absolutely. <laughs> so that you're providing quality yeah. service and not just, uh, like you said, just filling out a piece of paperwork. Um, interesting. Stan, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else I didn't ask you about today that we missed or that you wish I would have asked you about that you want to cover? Well, it's,
1: uh, you know, it's, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think you asked me a lot of a, a lot there, Andrew. I really appreciate
1: the opportunity to be here. I just, you know, it's one of those things where we have 49 days to go as of today yep. until the next provincial election, and not you know, that you're counting. No, not at all. <laughs> counting <laughs> but, down. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the only thing I, I think I'd like to say is that this is a huge election. There's just yep. been a decade and a half of the same government that is
0: desperately. Next. saying or doing anything to claim. How do you feel about your chances? I am curious. Like, how do you feel about your chances personally going into the next forty nine days?
1: All I know is that I can outwork my opponent, and that's what I am doing. We're out there seven days a week. I've I walked. I mean. The last two weeks, I've walked 250 kilometers. Um,
0: I've got blisters on my feet. And, your uh, iPhone, your Fitbit. Yeah, my It Fitbit, must be just off it's, the charts. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's quite high. <laughs> Ten, uh, getting your 10,000 steps in. Oh, I, I think we're at 25,000 a day on
1: average. But, uh, you know, the, the point yeah. to all that hard work is I don't know. Um, all I do know is that I'm connecting with the people of the streets. And I believe yeah. firmly that the job of government is to represent the voices of the people it governs. Mm-hmm. The Ontario Liberal government has not been doing this. So they, 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 they've lost touch with the community and our voices are not at Queen's Park. Your voices are not at Queen's Park. That is unacceptable. That needs to change. We're going to do that on June 7th with your help. So I'm just going to encourage everybody to make sure you vote. You don't have to agree with what I say, but please, we need everybody
0: to get out there and cast a ballot. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan, and good luck on June 7th. Thank you so Wish much you for well. having me, Andrew. Thank you.